0: I'm just kidding. Uh, um, it's one of those mornings where if I was brave enough, I would just say, hey, let's do that again and go home. Um, but I'm a chicken, and I like to talk. So uh, Luke 23, why don't you turn there? Luke 23, while you're turning there, there's a couple of announcements for you. Um, this, is, this is that week. This is Easter week. We have services scheduled for Friday night, uh, Sunday morning. Let me just kind of explain some of that to you just to keep us all on the same page. Friday night, we're having a Good Friday service. That will be where we observe the Lord's Supper together. We're really looking forward to that. That's at 7 p.m. Easter morning, we have three services at 8 o'clock in the morning, at 9.30, and at 11. All of those uh, need to be registered for, and you can do that online. And I would encourage you, and I'll encourage you a few times through this, I would encourage you to do it now. Um, spots are filling up very, very quickly, all right? So then we have our children's program for Easter morning. We're doing it a little differently than we're doing it right now. So on Easter morning, our children's program, will have classes for toddlers in preschool at 8 a.m. and 9.30 on Easter morning. And then we'll have classes from toddlers up to fifth grade at the 11 o'clock service. Again, get those munchkins registered as soon as possible um, because space is already filling up um, and it filled up even more after first service. So I would encourage you to get that done soon as possible. Um, let me make a, another couple of quick announcements for you. On April 11th, we are going to have a, a about a 15-minute member meeting. So if you're a member of Uniontown Bible Church, we are inviting you and asking and calling on you to join us for about 15 minutes after the second service, after this service on April 11th. It should only take about 15 minutes. We have two items on the agenda that that we just need to... Put before you. The first is, we get to officially introduce and recognize God's calling on two new elders, on Mike Clevenger and Doug Blackson. And so, truth be told, they've been serving as elders for a number of months now. But COVID has pushed off that official recognition um, time until April 11th. And so, we've decided after we recognize them as elders on April 11th, then they will get their tattoos and first paycheck. So. It's a volunteer position, and we won't tattoo them. At least, maybe we will. That could be fun. Anyway, um, <clears throat> sorry, I, the uncomfortable humor was necessary for this next part. The second item on the agenda for that morning. Um, that morning, we will be announcing a matter for prayer regarding church discipline. And so, if you are a member, we are asking that you join us that morning. Um, We'll share the specific issue of prayer, and then we will spend a few moments praying together and then ask you to do that as you go. So what you signed up for as a member of Uniontown Bible Church is to watch out for your brothers and sisters who may be tripping over themselves as they pursue sin more than they pursue Christ. And so we will do that together as a church family on April 11th, okay? You'll receive an email with a little bit more information about that, uh, just timing and stuff later today. Um, And we'll end on good news before I jump into the Word here. Uh, We're going to put a list of names up here. The elder team is nominating these folks to you as members of Uniontown Bible Church to become members of Uniontown Bible Church. Uh, They've been through the class, the interview process with the elders, and we are excited to put them forward as potential members. As always, as people join our church, if you see any reason or you know of any situation why they shouldn't be received into membership, we encourage you to follow the process of Matthew 18 and, and reach out to that individual yourself and have a conversation with them first. Um, and, and our goal, our desire, our prayer is that that would come to reconciliation. If there's anything there and barring any of those things coming up or, or barring or upon the completion of addressing those concerns, um, then we'll officially receive them into membership on April 11th. All right. All right. So even for me, that's a clunky transition to say the least. So take your Bibles. You're in Luke 23. Um, I'm going to pray. Would you pray with me, please? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank you for the opportunity to call you Father, the privilege it is. To know that we can come into your presence and lay our hearts before you. Thank you for the gift of worship, for the ability to take everything we have and simply do our best with it, and then somehow you take that offering and turn it into something that puts a smile on your face. I pray the Holy Spirit, you would work in my heart, our hearts, but my heart first, and as we walk through this morning together, I ask you do your, your wonderful work in me. As you convict me of my own sin, even as my mouth is moving, I pray that you would put that, that finger on my soul, that you would continue to change me into the image of Jesus Christ. I pray this morning for the one who might be here who doesn't, doesn't know what life in Christ looks like. I pray that someone here would truly cross over from death to life while, we, while we're here. God, I need you to take this moment and to carry this message and apply it to these hearts because I can't do that myself. Lord, would you give us ears to hear the things that uh, we may often run from? Give us eyes to see things that we may often misunderstand. Give us hearts that are quick to run to the throne of the Father, seeking forgiveness. Thank you for the gift of forgiveness. May we celebrate it well. Thanks for letting us be one of your kids. Help us to really understand what that is. It's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen. All right. So, all right. This morning, we get to talk about forgiveness. <clears throat> um, forgiveness is a very complicated subject. Um,. And and I think you could say that that we misunderstand what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. So let me just give you a couple bullet points. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not this mysterious peace we talk about in Christian circles. Forgiveness isn't glossing over something and just pretending like it never happened. Forgiveness is making an intentional decision to wipe the slate clean when you have been offended or sinned against regardless of if the person deserves forgiveness because no person deserves forgiveness. You hear that part, right? There's an adage that's used that says forgive and forget. I will tell you, according to Scripture, there is no such thing as forgiving and forgetting. If somebody has sinned against you in a grievous way, if you have been violated or abused, if you have been Um, I'm treated poorly. If someone has done great harm to you, you will never forget it. You may offer forgiveness. And then you must choose to forget. So as the issue raises its head again, you must make the intentional decision to forgive again. And as it comes up again, you must make the intentional decision to forgive again. And that's what it means to forgive and forget. It means to continuously work at the forgiveness process towards this person. Now, as complicated as forgiveness is and as many times as you and I actually have to extend forgiveness to people or ask for forgiveness from people, it's still this this beautiful, powerful, emotive thing. I mean, we we find forgiveness to be this wonderful idea. Right? When you have experienced when you have experienced the free and full and overwhelming forgiveness from a spouse, a friend, a sibling, a parent, a child, whoever it is, when you've experienced that forgiveness, when you have come to the understanding of how you've inflicted harm on somebody, then I chuckle a little bit because I've adopted this phrase. Most of my apologies begin with this. I'm sorry, I thought it would be funny. But the reality is in that as I am, as I am offending people trying to be funny, And and God allows my eyes to be opened, the blinders to be removed, the Holy Spirit to put his bittersweet finger on my heart to point out the area where I have been careless and foolish and and I have caused hurt to people. There's a weight that comes with that. There's a weight that comes with the understanding of how, how much you don't deserve the forgiveness of that person. And when they extend to you that forgiveness it's it's overwhelming so so we do we look at forgiveness as a wonderful idea but in truth forgiveness is a wonderful idea until i have to forgive somebody right i mean i love the idea of somebody forgiving me but me having to push that out and forgive somebody else that's that's difficult so so i mean there's some things from my own life, the lives of my family, the lives of my friends. Let me come through a quick list for you. Some things that you got to wrestle with, right? It's it's, it's difficult to forgive the little one who breaks a favorite dish. It's difficult to forgive a little one who loses your jewelry or a little one who, who, who discovers finger paints in your car. Or worse, a little one who finds markers the day that you are showing your home for sale and decides to do a mural. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to offer forgiveness to the neighbor kid who rides his bicycle into your car more than once. It's hard to offer forgiveness to that neighbor kid who volunteers to mow your lawn and finds every single one of your rose bushes with a lawnmower. It's hard to forgive the neighbor who's, who's out doing his yard work, spray painting his fence and not paying attention to the wind as the overspray of paint hits the side of your house and now Your siding's a different color in just a few spots. It's hard to forgive the person who rear-ends you at the stop sign or the relative who's making the estate closing unbearable. It's hard to forgive the woman who stole your husband or the man who stole your wife. It's hard to forgive the dad who abused you or the mom who abandoned you. It's hard to forgive the close friend who has told your deepest, darkest secrets to another. It's hard to forgive the trusted mentor or pastor who in his selfishness has violated your trust and done irreparable harm to the cause of Christ and the hearts of many. It's hard to forgive the monster who has violated you or your family. See, forgiving the person who accidentally spray-painted your house looks a whole lot different than forgiving the lifelong abuser in your life. Coming to the place where you... You understand the hurt and the harm that has been done to you, the cost of what has been done, and then choosing, as you understand that cost, choosing to not allow that abuse, that harm, that offense, that sin against you to define you or determine your response. That's forgiveness. And it's hard, isn't it? How much more so for Jesus? We think about this long list of offenses that I just ran through from the ridiculous to the significantly severe, and that's it's, it's, it's a, a huge mountain of things to forgive. How much more so Jesus? I'm going to start reading in verse 32 this morning of chapter 23, the book of Luke, and, I, and I'm going to read the rest of the chapter because I think it's important that we wash in this scene, these words... And think about what it was that Jesus was forgiving in these moments. Chapter 23, verse 32 says this. Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. They divided his clothes. They cast lots. The people stood watching. Even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this God's Messiah, the, the chosen one. Soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine. They said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him, this is king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Well, save yourself and us. But the other one answered, rebuking him, don't you even fear God? You're undergoing the same punishment, and we're punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we have done. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon. Darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light had failed. The curtain of the sanctuary split down the middle. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And saying this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had happened, he began to glorify God, saying, Truly, this man was righteous. All the crowds that had gathered for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, went home, striking their chests. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a good and a righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin, who had... Uh, not agreed with their plan and action. He was from Arimathea, a, a Judean town, and he was looking forward to the kingdom of God. He approached Pilate, and he asked for Jesus' body. Taking it down, he wrapped it in fine linen, placed it in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever been placed. It was the preparation day. The Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. It's a pretty stark statement, cry, prayer, exclamation, whatever you want to call it. Verse 34, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they're doing. Who's he talking about? Who's the them? Who is he praying that God would forgive in this moment? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Who is he speaking about? I mean, the possibilities are almost endless. You just flip back to chapter 22 and and you can see Jesus' interaction with his disciples when when he brings them together to the upper room and he observes the, the Lord's Supper with them and he, and he shares the Passover meal with them and at the conclusion of that, he has just finished explaining to them, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which was poured out for the sins of many. This is going to happen to me. I'm heading into Jerusalem. I'm in Jerusalem. I'm, I'm heading to the cross. You need to understand this. And the disciples' response is, verse 24 of chapter 22, a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered The greatest. Jesus just said, I'm about to die for you, and the disciples are like, who's number one? Maybe he's talking about Judas, who decided 30 pieces of silver was more valuable than than Jesus, who, who came to the garden to betray him, and he did so with the kiss of a friend. Maybe, maybe it's Peter. Peter. Peter who's followed Jesus from a distance. He's asked, oh, this must be one of his disciples. And, and he says, not me. And then a second time, I'm not one. Now, now, this is the thing I cannot wrap my head around. What was Peter thinking after the second time he denied a relationship with Jesus? Jesus, Jesus had just, within the day, told him, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. What is going on in Peter's head? Now, don't do it, don't do it, don't fall for it, don't fall for it. And then, after a little while, verse 58, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them too. Man, I am not, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Peter said, that was the second one. Third one, about an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was certainly with him since he is Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Probably the most heartbreaking verse in the entirety of Scripture is verse 61 of chapter 22. He just denied his Savior for the third time. The rooster has just crowed exactly as Jesus had told him it would happen. And then in verse 61, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Of course he did. Is it him that Jesus is speaking of when he says, Father, forgive them? They don't know what they're doing, maybe. Maybe it's the thugs of the high priest who blindfold Jesus and begin beating him and saying to him as they punch him, who hit you that time? Who hit you that time? Who was it that time? A childish game, right? Maybe it was Herod who was looking forward to meeting Jesus because he had heard about all these amazing things he had done. He was looking at Jesus as a magician. And when, when Jesus refused to perform tricks for Herod, Herod led the mocking. Maybe it's the crowds of people who in a short week went from the cries of Hosanna Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Two, crucify him. Murder him. Is that better? Is that clearer translation for you? The crowds demonstrated exactly what John said would happen. Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. Maybe it's the crowds he's forgiving. Maybe it's Pilate who saw Jesus as an innocent man and yet still declared him guilty. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's the rulers at the cross who were inciting the real riot. Maybe it was the soldiers at the cross who joined in the mocking of Jesus, which is unthinkable to think, but when you try to comprehend this. They're standing at the foot of the cross. You have the, the Jewish religious leaders who are mocking Jesus, and right next to them you have the Roman pagan soldiers, and suddenly they're allies together as they mock Christ. Maybe it's the one thief. If you're God, then save me. Maybe it's him. The possibilities are absolutely, almost, completely, 100% endless. There are so many people who are in need of forgiveness in this story, and yet not a single one of them deserves it. So... So who is Jesus speaking to? Who does he say this about when he says, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing? Jesus is speaking to those who are looking at the cross and missed the point. He's speaking to those who are standing there looking at Christ crucified on the cross and they don't get it. They're staring at this crucified, innocent Lamb of God, spilling his blood, even though he's innocent. And they're oblivious to what he was doing for them. Right then, right there. So it's like, Disciples, don't you understand? This is what he was talking about. He came to give his life a ransom for many. Don't you get it? High priest thugs, those of you who blindfolded him and punched him in the face like a child, don't you understand this one that you are mocking, this one you are playing the most childish of games with, he knew you while you were still in your mama's belly. Herod, he's not just going to do magic tricks. He's going to do something far beyond what you could possibly think or imagine. He's going to drink in the sin of, of all of humanity. Crowds, he came so that you could have life. Pilate, I know you you made that sign, king of the Jews. He's more than just king of the Jews. He's the king of kings. And to that one thief who said, if you're truly the Messiah, then Save yourself and us. To that one thief, he needed to recognize he is the Messiah. And the reason he's not saving his, himself is so that he could save others. They don't get it. They stare right at the cross, and they don't get it. Does anybody get it? Yes. Thankfully, some, some people get it. And, and one of the things that we see as we look through the text that we read this morning is a picture of a number of people that get it, and it helps us understand who can get it. So, so let me just point out a couple of key people. I mean, you, you've got, obviously, on the cross, you've got a criminal, one who mocks Jesus, and the other one who says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And we're going to talk about that in more detail in just a minute. But that, that criminal is a complete moral outsider. He's a bad man. And, and let me say this now. I, I, I won't twist the words, but, but he's not just a thief. The, our Bibles say the, the thieves, or the, it talks about the thief. Or the, he's not just a thief. There was no capital punishment for a thief. He had to be far worse than a thief. He might have been a thief, but if he was a thief, he was a murderer. This is a bad person. And yet he says, remember me. That person had no standing in the community, no standing in the culture. He is a complete moral outsider, and yes, yet he's, he's brought in through the forgiveness of Christ. There's a cultural outsider in verse 47 where you have the centurion begin to glorify God and say, surely this man was righteous. That that began to glorify God. Every time that phrase is used in the book of Luke, it is pointing to the person who is beginning their their knowledge, their understanding, and coming to understand who Jesus Christ truly is. So here's the centurion crossing over in that moment. But, But the centurion is a Roman. He's a cultural outsider. Then you have a whole group of social outsiders. And you have to bear with me just for a second, so you don't hear this and be like, I'm out, okay? There's a whole group of social outsiders that are talked about starting in, in verse 48 or go down to verse um, 55. It's it's the women. Women of this day were social outsiders. They they couldn't hold position, they couldn't, they couldn't even testify in court because they weren't a trustworthy witness. And yet Jesus was surrounded by women who he taught and who accepted and understood his message fully, completely. didn't matter if they were social outcasts. Jesus said, hey, I've come so that the, the sick might be made well, and that, in this case, happened to be women as well. Some of the most faithful disciples in the entire story of Jesus were women. Some of the most faithful disciples at Uniontown Bible Church, women. So their standing didn't affect that, so, so, so I think sometimes when you read Scripture, you come to the understanding of the history of the church, you look you're like, see, Jesus came for the outcasts. He came for the, the moral outsider, he came for the cultural outsiders, he came for the social outsiders, it's, it's only those, those lowly and poor, they, he came for those so that he could raise them up. But that's not true, because if you look at verse 50, what you find is there's an insider as well. His name is Joseph, he's from Arimathea. Joseph is a member of the Sanhedrin, a very wealthy man, and, and Jesus reached him as well. So, so here's the point. the Forgiveness is offered to you on the basis of grace, mercy, and kindness of God, not on anything you've got. It's offered to you because of who he is, not because of what your standing is. His offer of forgiveness transcends all standing. So it doesn't matter your lot in life. It doesn't matter your successes or your failures, your finances. It doesn't matter your family history. The offer of forgiveness is there for you if you would accept the offer. So how do you accept the offer? You accept the offer when you choose to love him most. And I think we see that very clearly in the interaction between the two criminals and Jesus to criminals of Jesus. So you can see that there in um, verse 39. And this is how it starts. And I think we might be able to relate to this if I change the language a little bit and put it in our vernacular. So verse 39, it says this, the, the criminal's hanging on the cross. The crowds in front of him are just mocking Jesus. And then the criminal, getting ready to die the same death of Jesus, begins to mock Jesus and says, are you, aren't you the Messiah? Then save yourself and save us. So I think that's a very familiar thing to say, but you don't recognize it. So let me tweak it a little bit. You ready? Are you there? Do you see what kind of mess I'm in? I mean, look around. My whole world's falling apart. Listen, if you do this, then I will worship you. Anybody recognize that at all? See, too often, that's how many of us live. If you do this, then I'll serve you as the God. And the reality is, instead of choosing to love him most, what you are doing is you are choosing to love yourself most. We get ourselves into this mess. We get ourselves into this place where we think, all right, I have no other options. Every relationship I have falling apart. I'm losing jobs, I'm losing friends, I've lost vehicles, I'm losing finances, every, my job, st- I mean everything's terrible. You know, maybe I'll go to church. Now, if you're here this morning, and that's you, love you. I'm glad you're here. But I, I want to make sure I'm clear. I don't want you to think that just because you showed up in church a week early this year. And you found a dusty Bible to carry around with you. That you have this figured out, and that you have found God. You didn't. You found a church, that's great. Now let me tell you about God. Because the problem is, in your attempt at finding God by showing up, is you are just using God to try to fix your mess. You are worshiping yourself and trying to use God as someone who will elevate you. That's what the first criminal cried for. But the right response is that of the second criminal. The right response gives us a true picture of who God is in the second criminal. And you see it in his words as he rebukes this first criminal, verse 40. Don't you even fear God. You're undergoing the same punishment. We're punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What the second thief, the second criminal says is, listen, it's not about the mess I'm in. It's not about me. I'm guilty. He is innocent. So, so innocent one, would you please remember me when you come into your kingdom? And, and understand what it is that he is asking, how astronomical a request that is. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you're dealing with the affairs of all of mankind. Remember me when you are maintaining that perfect balance between sun and moon and stars. Remember me when you are hearing the prayers of all of the multitudes of people in the middle of all that. Do you remember me? Do you acknowledge me? Would you, would you remember me, a guy who you've known for about 30 minutes? A guy who's being executed because he is such a bad Person, would you remember me? saying, listen, I'm guilty. You're innocent. I know my place, and I know your place. Would you remember me? That's how you receive and accept the offer of forgiveness that Jesus is offering to you. Yes, yes, yes. The criminal died. He did not have all his theology tied up in a neat little bow. He didn't get baptized. He wasn't a tithing member of a local church. But the cry of his heart was the right response. See, the cry of the first criminal was, get me out of this and then I'll serve you. The true response to the offer of forgiveness is this. I don't care if I get out of this. I want you. And Jesus' sweet response. Truly. <laughs> we blow right past that word, don't we? Truly. Absol- absolute absolute death. Yes. 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 I tell you, today you'll be with me. Today. There's two specific calls to action coming out of this this morning. The first is this. The offer of forgiveness is only an offer until you accept it. Jesus is the Lamb of God who came to die for you. He became sin who knew no sin. He took upon himself your sin. He took your record of debt, and he nailed it to his cross. And he paid what you owed. It was your nails, your thorns, your beatings, your cross, your shame, your guilt, your death. He took that upon himself to pay the price of the penalty that you owed. And, and, And I need to make this very clear, particularly if you are with us and you don't know who Jesus is, you've never put your faith and trust in him as Savior, and you've rejected him, straight up rejected him. You've come to this moment in our service, and you've heard me talk about him paying your price, and in your heart, you have rejected him. Let me make a plea with you. When you die and stand before God, someone has to pay your debt. And it's either Christ, or it's you. And if you choose to go it alone and try to pay your own debt, you will be paying for it with your eternity. Bearing the wrath of God for all of time. If you have accepted that offer, do you remember what it cost? I mean, <laughs> so I, I would struggle with a little kid who, with markers, draws on the wall. I, I struggle forgiving that kid. And Jesus here has forgiven you capital offenses. How much has Jesus forgiven you? Every lie. Every angry word you've spoken. Every temper tantrum that you've thrown. Every lust-filled look. Every selfish choice. He's forgiven you of every sin. And What did you do to deserve it? Nothing. So let me let me close with one of my favorite statements about this passage. It's made by um, one of my heroes of old, Charles Spurgeon. And it answers the question, how do you know you can trust him to forgive you? How can you know that he's truly forgiven you? Jesus looked at the people he was dying for. Some of those people were cringing like cowards. Some of them were snarling like dogs, but every single one of them was clueless and blind to what he was doing. And in the greatest act of love in all of history, Jesus Christ stayed. Didn't have to. Didn't have to. He stayed on the cross for your forgiveness. It's a little bit of a spoiler alert. There's another reason that we know we can trust him. It's because even though he stayed on the cross, didn't stay in the tomb, did he? we have hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your kindness, your mercy, your love. Thank you for being faithful, unchanging. Father, thank you for giving us the gift of forgiveness that we definitely do not deserve. Father, I pray that you would Remind us of what we've been forgiven of. And then we would live like those who've been forgiven. That we would live like children at play in the grace that is washing over us. Please, Lord, I, I pray that the one who's here this morning who doesn't know Christ, that they would, with humility, simply say yes and understand that what Christ is offering is being offered to them right now, the gift of eternal life. May they accept it, even now. Lord, help us not to get over what we've been forgiven. Help us not to get over the the fact that you stayed on the cross so that the work could be finished. And then, Lord, please help us never forget that that tomb remained.